This morning, I want to uh, go through a psalm with you. It's a psalm of giving thanks. Felt it was a little bit appropriate. We have Thanksgiving come, coming up here this week, and I am grateful that we live in a country where we have a day set aside. We're not the only country I know, but we have a, a day set aside for the giving of thanks. We've got a day set aside where we, where we recognize the fact that we need to be thankful. Unfortunately, most people in our country don't know who to be thankful to, but we do. So we have this opportunity this week on Thursday to just stop for a moment and to give thanks. But why is it? Why is it that we struggle with giving thanks sometimes? I mean, we're good at saying thank you. Don't get me wrong. We're trained since we were young, right? You know how that goes. And you're probably training your children the same way. Someone gives your child something and you look at them and you say, what do you say? What do you say? Right? And you're training them to say thank you. And so we get very good at it. I grew up in, I was born in Tennessee. Uh, my parents were from the South. So I was a yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Kind of guy. And, and we just said, thank you all the time. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. And, and it just, it comes out naturally sometimes, whether we think it or not, kind of like when someone sneezes and whether you think it or not, someone in the crowd says, oh, bless you. Whether they actually really think about what we're saying when we say bless you or not, that's not the point. Someone just instinctively, the knee jerk reaction is saying something, thank you, right? That's what we do. Thank you. We're even trained when we're not so excited about the thing that we got. You've been there. Someone gives you a present. I, I, I really... I really fear when someone hands me a present and says, open it now. <laughs> Just open it right now. Open it. And I go, oh, no. D- what if my poker face isn't on, right? What if I, can- what if I just... And you open it. And-, and since you were young, even when you were a kid, and you got something from Aunt you know, Sue, and y- you didn't like it, and your mom says, what do you say? And you're thank you. <laughs> thank you. Why do we struggle with thankfulness? Why is that a thing? And I think, I think one of the reasons why we do that is because all too often we compare ourselves in order to be thankful. And we're kind of taught that, and it's not necessarily bad, don't get me wrong, but we're taught, look at someone who has less than you, right? Look at someone who has less than you. So if you stand there and you're to put someone who has less than you next to you, and you start comparing your life to their life, you should be thankful, for the things that you have. And that's not, listen, we should be thankful for the things that we have. Don't get me wrong, but that's a short-lived thankfulness. Uh, One of the, I I get the the blessing of being a school teacher in in our sister school uh, in Uganda, Africa. Um, We often talk about how the kid's life in in this village in Uganda, how they live. Um, And it takes about five seconds for you to realize, wow, I'm privileged. When they start off a sentence saying, I wake up in the morning on the dirt floor because my family and I all sleep together on the dirt floor of our hut, that's all it takes for you to stop and say, I'm privileged. I sleep in a bed. I don't know about you guys. Uh, in a room. And I, have to, you know, I get to share it with my wife, but it's our room, right? And it's not an entire family on the floor, um, And so when we look at them, we go, oh, yeah, I should be thankful. And there's a sense in which we're guilted into being thankful sometimes. Um, And again, we should should be very thankful for the things that we have. Don't get me wrong. But what happens when I'm looking at this person whose life is, is different, harder, but what happens when I put someone right here whose life isn't harder, but whose life is maybe a little bit better? Maybe they're a little more privileged. 
then it gets harder to be thankful, right? I think an analogy of this is when I was a kid, um, we were living in England at the time, and, and for Christmas, I very desperately wanted a remote control car. That's what I wanted. Uh, and it wasn't just any car, it was a black car. And at the front of that black car, there was a red light that would go back and forth. Yes, it was Night Rider, it was Kit, right? That's what I wanted more than anything. I wanted that car. And I had put that on my Christmas list for my parents. I wanted Kit. Um, Christmas Day rolls around, and I've got a pile of presents. And I'm opening my presents, and I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I didn't have Kit, but I was super excited. I was grateful. I was thankful until my father opens his present from my beloved aunt. And he goes, whoa, it's a Kit remote control car. He had no idea, or she, my aunt, had no idea that that's what I wanted. And so here I was on my side, happy with everything I had. And then all of a sudden, my world came, well, it didn't come crashing down yet. I went, oh, I'm sorry, that's for me. And there I was, I was living in England, so I had a bit of a British accent. I said, oh, Father, that's mine, excuse me. And I start walking across, across the living room, abandoning the joy that I had to go for the thing that I didn't. And my dad said, no, son, actually, let me look at the wrapping. No, actually, it says from Aunt Mary to me. And I said, well, then there's been a mistake. She wrote the wrong name down because that is what I wanted, Dad. And I said it with that cute British accent. And he, though, said, no, son, this is actually, this was given to me. And now my world came crashing down. You see how quickly, I mean, we're fickle. Our hearts are fickle. That's a little kid story, but it gets, listen, we grow up, we grow up. And you're happy with what you have until you see someone who has like that new, the new phone or the new car or whatever. You're happily driving your Honda Accord and then someone pulls up next to you and you go, whoa, right? That's the attitude we have as kids just gets bigger as we get older. We get more mature with the toys that we want more than other toys, so simply comparing ourselves, is good. it is very good to remind us we do need to be grateful. But it's short-lived when we look the other way, right? Like, I, it's short-lived. Our hearts are fickle. We're taught we should be happy because others are less privileged. And, and I, I was guilty as a kid. Uh, you know, there I was at the dinner table eating, didn't want to eat what, I was, what was placed in front of me. My mother said, there are children in Africa who would love to have that food. And in a, in a very non, I, was, I wasn't a believer at the time. I said, well, good, box it up and send it. That way they're happy because they're eating it and I'm happy because I don't have to. That's double happy, that's better. I quickly found out, um, well, my rear end paid the price for my quick wit um, because it was, it was rude and ungrateful. That's what it was. Do not repeat me to your parents, all right? I'm just, just saying. Our gratitude is short-lived when we look at other people. It's short-lived. Our foundation for gratitude should not be some kind of spectrum where we put the less uh, fortunate, and I don't even want to call it that, but on this side, and then we put the what seems to be the more fortunate on this side, and we, we plug in the details, and it's like an app where you're going to put in the things that you've been blessed with, and bing, 
you find yourself on that spectrum and you say, oh, I should be 70% grateful, right? Gratitude isn't something like an app that we use. Gratitude isn't something where we should be comparing ourselves to other people. And again, don't get me wrong, be grateful for what you have. But I think our attitude needs to not be in the what, what we're going to see today, we're going to see that we need to be grateful in the who. Our attitude of gratitude, ooh, that's good. The attitude of gratitude should be focused on the who, not the what. I like what John Christostom says. He's an early church father. He died in 407. He writes this, let us give thanks to God continually. For it is outrageous that when we enjoy his benefaction to us indeed every day, when we enjoy the blessing that he gives us every single day, it's outrageous that we do not acknowledge the favor with so much as a word. And this, when, we acknowledge, when the acknowledgement confers greater benefit on us, he does not need anything of ours, but we stand in need of all things from him. In point of fact, thanksgiving adds nothing to him, he says, but it brings us closer to him. For if we recall the benefactions or blessings of other men towards us, we are all the more warmed by affection for them. Much more when we continually bring to mind the benefits of the master toward us, shall we be more earnest in regard to his commands. Here's what he's saying. When someone gives you something, when a person blesses you, and you remember it, you're grateful. And you think about that person, and you're happy for that person, and you say thank you to that person. And your relationship with that person is probably raised to a different level because they've blessed you. How much more should we give praise and thanks to God who blesses us every single day? That's what John Christostom is saying. For this, he continues, is the cause for which Paul said, be ye thankful. For the best preservative of any benefaction is the remembrance of that benefaction and a continual thanksgiving for it. Listen, gratitude's a big deal to God. If you just do a cursory uh, search in the Bible and you just search for the word thank, it comes up over 145 times. And that could be thanksgiving, it could be giving thanks, thankfulness. But just search for thank and it's 145 times repeated in the Bible. It's a big deal to God. It's not just once or twice. It's repeated 144 times, 145. David, in First Chronicles, let me read this for you. David, uh, when the Ark of the Covenant comes into Jerusalem, there's rejoicing. And I kind of like how the rejoicing goes. When David finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone in Israel, both man and woman, to everyone, a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raisin cake. It was a potluck, right? So... So the Ark of the Covenant comes in. There's rejoicing, there's celebration. This is where David's dancing in the street. He's excited that the Ark of the Lord is coming. He gives out food, everyone's eating. Then he appointed, this is the key, some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and praise the God of Israel. This is when, this is when David appoints Asaph to be like the choir master in the temple. His one job and the job of Asaph and his relatives was, was to think through all of the ways that God has been blessing Israel and to, then to thank him. Imagine that being your job. What do you do for a living? I get to remember everything that God's done every day and sing about it at the top of my lungs. That's my job. 
Thankfulness is so great. Look at what they said. Here's they start singing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all of his wonders. Glory in his name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord with his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds. He goes on and on. None of those times does he say, thank the Lord for the things you have, but rather be thankful because of God, right? Thankfulness is a big deal. Gratitude is a big deal to God. This morning, I want to open up God's word with you and understand the key to how to be thankful. And I want us to look at Psalm 100. And I just, uh, I was just told by uh, Dean in the back that actually Psalm 100 is even going to be in your, in your uh, bulletin this morning. So it must be providential. The Lord wants us to look at Psalm 100 today. But as you're opening there, let me tell you something else uh, that was written by David in Psalm 9. Verse one, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all of your wonders. It's just one example of David's gladness to the Lord. I will tell of your deeds with all my heart. Not some of my heart. I'm not going to be half-hearted in giving thanks. He's not going to be like, like you and I were when you got that present that you didn't want and you had to say thank you anyway. And you were begrudgingly, you were saying thank you, not because you wanted to, but it was like, a, hmm, thank you. David says, with all my heart, I'm going to thank you, and I'm going to remember your deeds. Even Job, as we think about Job, and we'll come back to him later, right? Job, who had the worst day ever, hashtag, right? Worst day ever. In one day, loses all of his income. He loses all of his methods for getting that income. He loses his houses, possessions. He loses his children. And that day, the end of that day, that heart-wrenching day, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not in what I have that matters. It's who I have. I'm not saying that was an easy day. I'm not saying that that day he was, he was saying, thank you, woo, with a heart of gratitude, right? That's not the attitude that he had that day. But he did say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because the Lord's goodness is what is in view there. True gratitude and worship flow, not merely out of what he's done, but also out of who he is. So we're looking at the who today, not the what today. So today I want to look at Psalms 100, Psalm 100, and we're going to divide it into two sections. uh, Verses 1 to 3, we're going to call this, Be Praising the Lord. And we can make that an imperative because there are imperatives here. You must be praising the Lord. You must be praising the Lord. Secondly, we're going to sing. We're going to sing. Uh, We're not going to sing. Secondly, we're going to see in verses four and five that you must be, you must be thanking the Lord. It's another imperative. You must be praising and you must be thanking. This first part that we're going to look at, you must be praising the Lord. Um, The Psalm teaches us that our lives must be characterized by praising God. The psalm starts off, if you look at the superscript, with a a title. It's the tiny little words right up above it. And it says, a psalm for for thanksgiving. A psalm for giving thanks. Just stopping there for a moment. Why would a psalmist need to stop and write us a psalm with imperatives, with commands, telling us this is how you give thanks, if not for the fact that we're not very good at it? 
So this psalmist wrote down reasons that we should be thankful, reasons why thankfulness should be the default, the default uh, attitude of our brain. This should, be, this should be our position every day. He says, this is a, th- a psalm for thanksgiving. This is so that we can learn how to be thankful. God needs to remind us that we are to be thankful people because we have the tendency to be ungrateful. We have the tendency to be like that kid, that kid who turned away from his presence because he didn't have the one thing that he wanted. We have the tendency in life to always be looking around and saying, the grass seems to be greener over there, right? So we need to stop and we need to back up and God reminds us the reasons for which we're grateful. The Psalm that we're looking at this morning teaches us to be grateful, not because of what we have, nor for the way that we are, but rather for a deeper reason. Let's read verses one to three together. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Did you catch that? The author of this psalm is telling that he's telling his hearers and his readers in our case that we must be praising the Lord. He says, shout to the Lord. That's an imperative. It's one of seven imperatives, one of seven commands that's in this psalm. And he starts off saying, shout to the Lord, all the nations. There's a, almost a missional aspect to this. All the nations, shout to the Lord. He says, shout, serve, come, know. Those are the four that are in this section. In the ESV, if you have the ESV, it might say something like, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And uh, I've heard this verse taken out of context. I don't know how many times growing up, even with me, I was learning to play the guitar when I was in, in youth group and, and I didn't even, I didn't even have a tuner yet. Um, and so what came out of my guitar was definitely a noise. Um, and someone very graciously bought a tuner for me. Um, and they said, this might be helpful to you. Uh, as you learn to play the guitar, but they would, they would say, but don't worry. The Bible just says, make a joyful noise and you're joyfully making a noise, right? So keep going. Uh, that's not what he's getting at here. That's not what he's getting at at all. Um, what he's saying, first of all, we'll get to the joyful part in a second. We'll get to the noise in a second, but he's saying that the nation, the whole earth, all the nations should worship God. God is the author of all life, and therefore all life owes it to its maker and creator. They owe worship to God. We know from Philippians 2.10 that every knee will one day bow and every tongue will one day confess. I don't think that's necessarily what the author is thinking here in the Old Testament. He's not thinking, well, one day you're going to worship God. He's just saying it's a call to all nations. Stand up and worship God because he made you. He created you. You owe it to him. The breath that you breathe is a gift from God. Be thankful. Doesn't matter what you have. Doesn't matter what you've lost. It doesn't matter the condition of your health. You breathe. Be thankful. God made you. This is a call to all the nations. And we know that the vast majority of the created world does not recognize God as king. But this author is simply saying they should. We need more missionaries. We need more people going to all the nations to say, stand up and worship the king. And here's how you do it. But this shout of joy, this shout, this joyful noise, this joyful merrymaking isn't simply just a woohoo kind of thing. What this is, this is an attitude that rises up in 2 Corinthians. It's a lifting of the voice or 2 Chronicles. 
It's a loyal agreement with God. It's the kind of way that people would shout, long live the king, as the returning defending king would come back into the city that he's now effectively defended against the enemy nation, and the city rises up with joy, and they're shouting, long live the king. This is the, the British huzzah, right? This is, this is we're with you, and we're excited to be with you. This is a loyal shout from the hearts of the followers of the king. Shout to the Lord. The author says, shout to the Lord. And I love how he says it. This shout is to be done how? Joyfully. Shout with joy. Right? This isn't, this isn't, you're not shouting because you have to. You're not shouting because you're coerced to, you're told to. This is a shout with joy. This isn't a forced rejoicing where the people are told, come out into the street and you must be happy because the dictator is coming through or there will be consequences. This is coming out to the street on your own and saying, long live my king. Shout to the, shout for joy, all the nations. We're to shout joyfully. In Hebrew, this is an interesting word. It's actually the same word that you would use for sounding the alarm. If something is wrong, you would shout out. You would shout out to sound the alarm. It can also mean splitting the ear. That's the connotation. I'm shouting so loud, something's happening. In this case, it's joyful shouting, right? So there's no alarm except we want you to know that Christ or that God is king, right? So he's, this is Old Testament, talking to Yahweh. We would shout for Christ. He's saying the whole world should love God. The whole world should shout out. They don't do it. But that means we have a job to do, to go show them what it means to worship the king. Secondly, though, let's look at um, the next two imperatives together. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. And the reality is, he says, first of all, serve. That's the next imperative. Serve the Lord. But the truth is, that's something that we should be doing as his people. The people of God should be serving him. He's not talking just to the priests that were working in the tabernacle at the time. He's not talking about just the the temple priests later on. All of God's people should be serving him. We even get this into the New Testament. What's Paul's favorite word to describe who he is? He says, I'm a slave. I serve the king. We We were slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and we serve a good God. We can shout to the Lord because of it. And when we serve, which we should be doing already, we do it how? With gladness. With a heart that's filled, with a heart that's full, we serve him. And we come before him with joyful singing. And the idea here and we, is that we're coming into the temple or the tabernacle. We're coming before the ark. And we get that even from verse 4 because he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his, his courts with praise. The idea is we're coming before him. And as we come in, we're coming in with joyful song. We're coming in with gladness in our heart. I like how he says, come before him with joyful singing. How often... When do we get to come? When do we get to come into the presence of the Lord? All the time, right? We learn from Hebrews that the curtain in the temple has been has been ripped in two and that we get direct access to the throne and so we have constant access to the presence of God. So every day in every way this should be on our mind and we're coming before 
the King of Kings, to the throne room of God, and we should do it, he says, with singing, come before him. Again, another imperative, come. Come before him with joyful singing. Your mind should be a playlist on repeat of praise songs to our God and King. All too often, uh, we have other things on our mind. We sit there and we think or we worry or we reflect or we just do other things in life. We should be. I, I don't know. I always have a song rattling around in my mind. It's just there and then it skips to another one. Someone will say something that reminds me of this hymn or it will remind me of that worship song. And one day, uh, the pastor of our sending church, when we were missionaries in Italy, he saw me and at one point I was singing, I don't know, come thou fountain. Five minutes later, someone had said something which triggered my brain, and I was just kind of humming and singing another song. And he said, Josh, you are like an iPod, back when those were things, an iPod on shuffle. All you do is sing praises to God, and it's a different one all the time. And, and I took it as a compliment. Um, and that's how we should be, right? We should be thinking through. We see the mountains, and we sing songs like, I lift my eyes up, up to the hills. Where does my help come from? Psalm 121 which is a song as well. We should be thinking when we go through difficult times that there's another song about not fearing. When I walk through the waters, you will be there, right? There's all these different songs that come from scripture that should be on our mind. And so as we shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, we're serving him and we do it with gladness and we come before him and we do it with joyful singing. Why do we allow other attitudes in our lives? Why do we look to the grass that's on the other side why are we even worried about that? What we should be looking at and focused on is the king of kings in front of us. Shout, serve, come. All of that is based on verse three. Verse three is kind of the key to this section. It's also an imperative. No. This is something you must know. And it's this knowing, the knowing of this key that allows us to shout and serve and come. It's the knowing that drives everything. We don't just sing songs because, eh, that's what we do. We sing songs because of who we're singing to. I love the songs we sang this morning. We're recounting his wondrous deeds. We're thinking through everything that God has done for us. And so we do that because we know something. And here's what the psalmist says, know that the Lord himself is God. We're to know that the Lord is God. Notice that your Bible has the word Lord in upper caps. That means that the name of God that's translated from Hebrew into English here is God's eternal name. It's the name Yahweh. So what he's actually saying is know that Yahweh himself is God. That's, that's the particular name to the God of Israel. That's the name, if you remember, back when, back when Moses is, is talking to a bush, um, which would ordinarily cause, you know, us to worry because he's talking with a bush and he's there though. And he's talking with the bush and it's God in the bush. So that's what makes it okay. And God is saying, um, go back to Israel, uh, go back to Egypt. My people, I've heard their cry and I want you to bring them out. And Moses is coming up with all these different excuses. He's arguing with God. Um, not a good idea, but he says, if I go back and I say, God has sent me, they'll say, well, who is this God? And God says, I am that I am. Tell them, I am that I am has sent you. Tell them, Yahweh has sent you. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the present tense God. I'm always God. 
This is his name. It's used over 6,000 times in the Bible. It's referring to who he is. This, is. this is his name that deals with his forever and timelessness. The promise that he made to Abraham is still the promise that he's upholding today because he's forever a loyal covenant. He's a, his covenant love never changes. He loved and will continue to love because of who he is. That's his name. So what should we know? We should know that there is no other God. Know that the Lord himself is God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the God of creation. He's the God who said, I will send the Messiah. And he's the God who sent the Messiah. He is Messiah who came for us. The author is saying that the God of Israel is the only God. And that's the key to the serving, to the singing, to the merry music making. The reason why we do what we do and the reason why we can be like that is because we know God. And it's a command. Know him. What should we know? What does he say? It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And probably here, the psalmist is thinking about the nation of Israel. It's the Lord God who made us a nation. It's the Lord who brought us together. And we are the sheep of his pasture. And we can be thankful in that, he says. But I love how Jesus in the New Testament includes us. Open, flip in your Bibles to John. Keep your hand, obviously, in Psalm 100. But go to John, John 10. Look at how Jesus adds you and I into the sheepfold. Look at verse 11. He's going to repeat this, this phrase several times. In verse 11, he says, I am, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And he also, that, that I am is the connection with the name Yahweh. So he's saying, I am Yahweh and I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. In verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Go back down, look down at verse 14. He repeats it, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Verse 16, I have, however, other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. What he's saying is, Israel, you're the sheep in this one sheep fold, but I have other sheep that aren't from the Israel fold. And he's talking to the Gentiles. He's talking about you and I. And he says, I'm the good shepherd, and they know me. Back to Psalm 100, know that the Lord himself is God. We are, or it is he who made us and not we ourselves. We're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. So Jesus brings us into this. So we can say with the psalmist, I want to shout joyfully. I want to serve the Lord with gladness. And I want to come before him because I know God. I know him. The psalm is written for the nation of Israel, but we're brought into it. So the motive in verses 1 to 3 for merry, joyful, noise-making and serving with gladness and singing in our hearts is knowing God. That knowing God involves loving what he's done for us. And we could stop here before we move on to the next section and just simply ask, do you know him? I don't mean know him cognitively. I don't mean know him like if I say, do you know the president? You would say, yes, I know his name. But 
probably you don't know him, right? I don't. I don't have his phone number. I never talked to him. I don't know him, but I know who he is. That's not what David is, or not what the psalmist is saying. He doesn't say, uh, do you happen to know who God is? But the command is, know God. Know that he is God. Know that you belong to him, and maybe you don't belong to him yet. So the question is, do you know him? How well do you know him? Do you know him enough that you would say, I love shouting and serving and coming because I know him? Are you making joyful noise throughout your day to the people around you? Are you having the kind of long live the king attitude in your heart? I love how one author said it. Uh, one pastor, he said, we should be living and serving God in a way that makes him look thrilling. We should be living in a way that's so exciting because of what God has done for us that those from outside the church, non-believers will look at us and say, wow, that looks amazing. I, there's something that you have that I don't have. There's a joy that you have that I don't have. And it doesn't come from the stuff that you have. I've noticed that someone might say, but it comes from the, the someone that you have. And I want to know that someone because you've made it, you've made him look thrilling. Do you know God? Have you asked forgiveness of your sins? And have you realized the depth of that forgiveness, that you're a new creature in Christ? Do you know him? Do you serve him with gladness and enter his presence with singing? So we've seen that you must be praising God in verses one to three. You must be praising God. It's an imperative. This isn't, well, I'll do it another day. This isn't, well, I'll let that other happier person be praising God. Oh, and this isn't, this isn't a, but you don't understand kind of moment. This isn't a, a yeah, but. You've heard the yeah, buts, right? Yeah, but. I know that's the truth, and I know I should be living that way. Yeah, but. Times are tough right now. And listen, this isn't saying that we're not going through hard times. Go back to Job. That's a hard time. And I'm not saying that you're not going through hard times. We've all been through or are going through hard times or about to go through hard times. Do you know him? Let's look at now the next requirement, the next set of imperatives. And it's for our title for this section. It's you must be thanking the Lord. You must be thanking the Lord as if knowing who he is isn't enough motivator for praise we're now given a motivation to be thankful. Look what he says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. So now we enter into this section and we're armed with the fact that we have a knowledge of who God is. He's the maker, the creator, the sustainer of all things. And he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. We know him. Now the picture is as if God is in his temple and we're coming into the temple and we're coming to visit him and you enter into the gate or the door and you're doing it with a grateful and praising heart. You're coming to church on Sunday, but it's not just Sunday. You're coming every day with thankfulness and praise. You're thrilled because you're going to see the loving, the caring, and the kind God of the universe, and he's your father, as Jesus taught us to call him. You can be excited because you know who he is, and you know his character, 
right? He's not an angry God who needs to be appeased all the time. He's not some far-off God on a high mountaintop of Greek mythology, not really caring about his creation. He's not Baal who requires his followers to cut themselves and raise their voice and shout louder so you could kind of wake him up so that he could be heard. He's not a mindless idol sitting on a shelf who can neither see you nor hear you nor do anything for you. This is Yahweh, and you're coming before him. And he says, come or enter his gates. Thanksgiving should be on your heart. You're entering his courts with praise. He says, give him thanks. It's another imperative. It's our sixth imperative. Enter or come, that was the fifth one. Give thanks, that's the sixth one. Bless his name. We could just stop right here and say, how are you doing with that? Are you entering? Are you coming? Are you blessing God's name? Or sometimes do you have the attitude of, I know I should be, but life is hard right now. I'm not denying that life isn't hard. Life can be very difficult. We all go through, we're all going through some different type of hard. We were singing, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Let's go back to this. Here's what the author is thinking. Because really verse five, I think verse five is the key to the entire psalm. I think verse five is what the psalmist was actually thinking about when he sat down to write this. I think he was reflecting on the goodness of God because he starts off with, for the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. I think that's what he was sitting down under a tree. I don't know where he was, but I can just picture it, right? He's sitting down reflecting. He's in the shade of a tree, just thinking about the goodness of God day after day after day in his life. And that's why he started the psalm. You could almost read it, because he's good, shout, serve, come, know, enter, give, bless, right? Because of who he is. The cause for the psalm is he's good. That is the reason for us to be able to give thanks, to serve him, to praise him. It's uh, the word in Hebrew. This is, the, this is why you take Hebrew classes. It's this word right here. It's chesed. You've got to get a little guttural in there. You kind of it's got a little phlegm. You can try it. Go chesed. Like it's this word and the meaning of this word that will make you want to sign up for a Hebrew class uh, at the seminary. Chesed. Because you get to say it like that. And you get the meaning of it. It's his forever and steadfast love. It's a love that never and never changes. It's the love that's based on his faithfulness. That's chesed. In your Bible, usually it's like a two word kind of thing, or we stick two words together, like loving kindness. It's God's loving kindness to you. It's the loyal love that God has for you. It's the love that's going to keep his covenant because he said he would. His chesed love. I'm telling you, sign up at the seminary, take Hebrew so you can say that word. Because Yahweh is who he is, the eternal God, his loving kindness, his covenant love never ends. He lasts forever and his love then lasts forever. Because of who he is, it will never change. I'm even reminded of um, Psalm 23, the very last verse in Psalm 23. David is thinking about God being a shepherd the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he goes on and on. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death. I fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. And here chesed comes into play. Verse six, surely goodness and chesed, loving kindness, surely goodness and loyal love will follow me all the days of my life. And even there in Hebrew, the word has more of this idea of pursuing me. Not only does God have this never-ending, always faithful, eternal love for me, but it pursues me. It's coming after me. It's like a, like a police officer in a car chase behind the car, never leaving the car. That's the idea. Your loving kindness every single day of my life is following me. It's pursuing me. We were just singing uh, a couple days ago a song Um, at the school where I teach, and it was a song that talks about the goodness of God, and it kind of made us smile and laugh a little bit because we had kindergartners through sixth grade, and then some parents were there too, and it was singing about all my life, all my life, you've been good to me. And and it was kind of funny thinking about these six-year-olds in the front row or five-year-olds, they're like, all my life, they're belting it out with all their heart. And the reality is God has been good to them all of their life. I was thinking through, they've had tough times, Right? It's been hard, and that's no joke for them. They go through all that potty training stuff and all of that. They're learning how to be people, little people, and it's hard. But I sat there thinking as I was singing the song that I think the people that get the song the most are the people who have grayer hair, right? As I'm, as I'm graying and getting older, I look back on all those periods where I could have sang, with all my heart, you've been good to me all my life, and that's very, very true. But the older I get, the more sweeter that gets, right? I can look back at that and say, you know what? That is very true. The loving kindness of the Lord has ever been faithful and it's ever been behind me. It's ever been pursuing me. God has been with me. His, the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. I think the older and the grayer that I get, the more I look at God's goodness and I say, I get it. And I can sing with the psalmist, how good you are, how good you are. God's goodness in our times of difficulty is not under scrutiny. I remember remember having a Job moment in my life. I wondered if it was a Job moment. We were moving to Sicily as missionaries. Um, My wife and kids were not going to be coming to the States with me on furlough. So we had left our house. We put everything in a trailer drove all the way down to Sicily and put our stuff in a storage unit. So we had no home. And then I was to drive her halfway up Italy to get to her parents' house and leave her with, uh, with my father-in-law. And the day before leaving, somebody drove into my parked car and I couldn't drive. So I've got no home. I've got no car. I'm putting them on an airplane and I'm saying goodbye to them and I'm driving away and I'm not going to see them for another couple months. And I'm just sitting there thinking, Lord, is this the Job moment? Is this, I, was, I was crying, thinking, I've, I've, right now I've got literally nothing. I'm not even in my own, I don't even have my car. But Lord, you're good. Lord, you're good. And I don't know your moment or moments. I don't know the difficulties that you're going through. But you're going through them. I know they're hard. Some worse than others, some harder than others. We, we have a friend in our group that recently had a stroke. And when I talk with him, every single time I talk with him, he tells me, 
Josh, I'm glad to be alive. God is good. He's got a whole new set of challenges in his life. But he goes back to, God is good. Friend, it's not about what you have. It's not about the what, but it's all about the who. Can you, with the psalmist, say, I want to shout. I want to I long live the king kind of attitude in my heart. I have a service heart with gladness. I come before him with singing. I know who he is, and that allows me to enter his gates with thanksgiving, and it allows me to give praise with him. It allows me to bless his name because of who he is. It's his goodness. Friend, this Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving, there are many reasons to be thankful, and you should be thankful for the things you have. Don't get me wrong. We have so much, and we have so much to give. I was just reading 10% of the world lives on less than a a $1.90 a month. We have so much. We should be thankful. But more than the things that we have, we shouldn't be, our focus shouldn't be on the things that we have. Our focus should be on the who that we have. The real reason for giving thanks isn't because you've got stuff, the stuff that can come and can go. The real reason is because you know God. He loves you. He created you. He offers salvation. He sent his son to be the rescuer. So my call to you, if you don't know God, is to be rescued by him. Ask forgiveness. If that's not you, if you're not in the flock, then this text says to you, know him. It's an imperative. Come to him. Come to his feet and say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I want to be in your flock. I want to be cared by you. I want your loving kindness to come after me and I want to grow old and gray and to be able to look back and say, God, you are so good and I can see it in every moment of every day of my life. So if you don't know God, know him. Ask forgiveness. If you do know him and you have asked forgiveness, make a joyful noise. This Thanksgiving, serve him, sing to him, thank him, know him. Let there be this song that wells up from within your soul that says, long live my king. And let your neighbors know it. Let your friends know it. As you have them over to your house for Thanksgiving or or non-believing family members, live in a way that makes God look thrilling so that they will want to know him all the more. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are, you're so good to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We haven't merited your goodness. In fact, what we have earned and deserved and and merited is a place in hell. But Lord, you sent your son to be the rescuer. Lord, thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for forgiving my sins and making me part of your flock. Lord, I pray for everyone here. If they don't know you, if there is someone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would that they would ask forgiveness, Lord, that they would come to know you so that they could make a joyful noise and serve and bless and give thanksgiving to you. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. In your name we pray, amen.